Don't be too fond of the newspaper, yet read it, that you may know both what man is doing and what God is doing, and extract out of all you read matter for thought and prayer. Avoid works which jest with what is right or wrong, lest you unconsciously adopt a false test of truth and duty, namely ridicule, and so become afraid to do right for right's sake alone, dreading the world's sneer and undervaluing a good conscience and the approving smile of God. Let your reading be always select, and whatever you read, begin with seeking God's blessing on it. But see that your relish for the Bible be above every other enjoyment, and the moment you begin to feel greater relish for any other book, lay it down till you have sought deliverance from such a snare, and obtained from the Holy Spirit an intenser relish, a keener appetite for the Word of God. Jeremiah 15:16, Psalm 19:7 through 10. 7. Take heed to your steps. Beware, not merely of falling, but of stumbling. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, like men in an enemy's country, or like travelers climbing a hill, slippery with ice and terrible with precipices, where every step may be a fall, and every fall a plunge into a chasm. Beware of little slips. Slight inconsistencies, as they are called, they are the beginning of all backsliding, and they are in themselves evil, as well as hateful to God. Keep your garments undefiled, Revelation 3, 4. Beware of small spots as well as larger stains or rents. And the moment you discover any speck, however small, go wash in the fountain that your garments may be always white and so pleasing in the eyes of him whose you are and whom you serve. Crucify the flesh with its affections and lusts. Galatians 5.24 Mortify your members which are upon the earth. Colossians 3.5 Remember the Lord's words to his church. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Stand aloof from the world's gaiety, and be jealous of what are called harmless amusements. I do not condemn all amusements, but I ask that they should be useful and profitable, not merely harmless. Dancing and card-playing are the world's devices for killing time. They are bits of the world and the world's ways which will ensnare your feet and lead you away from the cross. Let them alone. Keep away from the ballroom, the opera, the oratorio, the theater. Dress, finery, and display are deadly snares. Put away levity and frivolity, all silly conversation or gossip. Remembering the apostles' words, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. Ephesians 5, 4. And let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. 
flee youthful lust. If you be young men or women, flee all lust, whether you be young or old. Shun light company and take no pleasure in the conversation of vain persons. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Be thou a Christian in little things as well as great. Dread little sins, little errors, little omissions of duty. Beware of false steps, and if betrayed into one, retrace it as soon as discovered. If persevered in, the consequences may be months of sorrow. That cherished sin twill cost thee dear. Remember, as a French writer remarks, that sooner or later, every crown of flowers becomes a crown of thorns. Redeem the time. Much of your progress depends on this. Be men of method and punctuality. Waste no moments. Have always something to do and do it. Use up the little spaces of life, the little intervals between engagements. I knew a friend who, one winter, read through some five or six octavo volumes by making use of the brief interval between family worship and breakfast. Pack up your life well. Your trunk will contain twice as much if well packed. Attend, then, to the packing of each day and hour. You may save years by this. How many have slipped and fallen through idleness? How many begin a score of things and end nothing? Dawdle away their morning or their evening hours. Sleep longer than is needful. Trifle through their duties. Hurrying about from work to work or from book to book or from meeting to meeting instead of being calm, methodical, energetic. Thus life is loitered away, and each sun sets upon twelve wasted hours and an uneasy, dissatisfied conscience. Be punctual and regular in all duties and engagements. Keep no man waiting. Be honest as to time, both with yourselves and others, lest you get into a state of chronic flurry and excitement, so destructive of peace and progress so grieving to the spirit whose very nature is calmness and rest. These may seem like small things, but they are the roots of great. Resist beginnings. Seize time by the forelock. Live while you live. Watch your steps. Count your minutes. Live as men who are pressing on to a kingdom and who fear not only open apostasy, but the smallest measure of coming short, the slightest stain upon the garment of a saint, the faintest slur upon the name of a disciple. Hebrews 4, 1, Jude 23. Watch against special sins or things that have the appearance of evil or things that lead into evil and discredit that worthy name by which you are called. First Thessalonians 5.22, James 2.7 If you have a bad temper, watch against that. If you have a rude way of speech, a cold, distant, repulsive manner, or are ill to please, look well to these and be courteous. First Peter 3.8 if you are covetous in disposition, or shabby in your dwellings, or niggardly in your givings, take care. The love of money is the root of all evil. 
If you are slovenly in your dress or untidy in your person or unpolite in your demeanor, set yourself to rectify these blemishes. If you are lazy, luxurious, given to the good things of this life, or selfish, disobliging, unneighborly, rude, blunt, unbrotherly, look to your pattern and see if these things were in him. If you are fickle and frivolous and flippant, greedy of jokes, carried away with immoderate laughter, be upon your guard. If you are romantic and sentimental, take care, lest the indulgence of such a temperament should land you in peevishness, self-pity, and a cowardly avoidance of the common duties of life. If you are censorious, captious, fault-finding, proud, domineering, supercilious, and sulky, get the unclean spirit cast out forthwith. If you be a gossip or a gadabout or a busybody in other men's matters, take care, for at such crevices Satan creeps in. If you be secretive and cunning, with a certain littleness or slyness in your nature, which never lets you forget your own interests, beware. Christ was not such, Paul was not such. Be frank, open, manly. Remember the summing up of David's picture of the blessed man, in whose spirit there is no guile. Psalm 32, 2. Be not Jacob, a man of guile, but Israel, a noble prince, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. John 1, 48. Walk straight up along the path of life, like a forgiven man with God at your side. Genesis 5:24, Genesis 6, 9. And with the joy of the Lord for your strength. Nehemiah 8, 9. Ecclesiastes 9, 7. Doing heartily your daily work, whether sacred or common, with an unshaded brow and an earnest but cheerful face. In short, watch against your old self at every point. Do not evade these remarks by saying that some of the things spoken of are trifles and beneath notice. Nothing should be too small for a Christian to notice, either of right or wrong. Remember the Master's words about denying self, every part of self. Be not a servant of self or a worshiper of self or a lover of self. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2 in any form. Take up your cross and follow your Lord, Matthew 16:24, as it is written, even Christ pleased not himself, Romans 15:3. 8. Put away boastfulness and love of praise. God's aim in all his doings of grace is to hide pride from man, to hinder boasting, to keep the sinner humble. All that the old Christian can say is, By the grace of God I am what I am, and the youngest has no other confidence or boast. All confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3, 1 and 3. All trust in self, all reliance on the creature are set aside by that great work of the divine substitute who did all for us and left us nothing to do out of which it would be possible to extract a boast. 
2 Corinthians 12, 9, Galatians 6, 14, Isaiah 41, 16, and Isaiah 45, 25. The sinner's first act of believing is his consenting to be treated as a sinner, and simply as such, indebted for nothing to himself in any shape or in any sense, but wholly to God and to his free love in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was the laying down of all pride and boastfulness. Then he knew the meaning of the words, Glory ye in his holy name, First Chronicles 16.10. For the name in which he then began to glory was the name revealed in Exodus, Exodus 34.6, the name that assured him of the love of that God with whom he had to do self was set aside and Christ came in to do and to be all that self had hitherto been supposed to be and to do. What things before were gained to us, these we then counted loss for Christ, and we ceased forever to glory in the flesh, or to be debtors to anything but the blood and righteousness of the Son of God. We learned to say, God forbid that we should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Galatians 6:14. We ceased to work for salvation, for we had got it without working, and we had got it not in order that we might indulge in sin, because grace abounded, but in order that, having our legal bonds all loosed and our prison opened, we might henceforth serve God with our whole heart and soul. We thus became debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, Romans 8:12. For the flesh had done nothing for us, and we owed it nothing, but debtors to God and to his love, not to self or the old man. For these had brought us only sin and evil, but to Jesus Christ and his precious blood, not to law, for it only condemned us and held us in bondage, but to that free spirit, Psalm 51:12, that good spirit, Nehemiah 9:20, that spirit of life which makes us free from the law of sin and death, Romans 8:2. Thus, everything that could cause a pride was swept away at the outset, and that not by law, but by the very necessity of the case, by the very nature of that salvation which was brought to us not through anything which we either could or could not do, but through the love and work and blood of another. Let us fling away self-esteem and high-mindedness, for it is the very essence of unbelief, as the prophet told Israel, Hear ye, and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. Jeremiah 13:15. Be meek, be poor in spirit, be humble, be teachable, be gentle, and easy to be entreated, putting away all high thoughts and lofty imaginations, either about what we are or what we can do, content to take the obscurest corner and the lowest seat, and this not to indulge in a false lowliness or in the pride that apes 
humility, feeding our vanity with the thought that we are martyrs, and puffing up our fleshly mind with the idea of our wonderful condescension, or by brooding over our supposed wrongs and trials, let us be truly humble, as was the Son of God, content to live unknown and to do our work unnoticed, as a work not for the eye of man, but of God. Put away all envy and jealousy of others, as well as all malice and evil speaking. Ephesians 4.31 Love to hear of a brother's prosperity. Don't grudge him a few words of honest praise, nor try maliciously to turn the edge of it by an envious but or a grave silence or a wise shake of the head unless you have very special reasons for disallowing the eulogy. Remember that Solomon's wicked man is one that winketh with his eyes and speaketh with his feet and teacheth with his fingers. Proverbs 6.13 Proverbs 10.10 Have a care of distraction and backbiting. Speak of a person's faults only to himself and to God. Be not censorious or uncharitable in thought or word. Inconsistent Christians are often more censorious than the world, for they need to apologize to themselves for their inconsistencies by detracting from the excellencies of those who are more consistent than themselves and by trying to believe that good men are no better than others. Some love to speak and show their pride in this way, both in private and in public. If you are young and newly led out of your former ignorance, beware of this snare. Remember Paul's advice, not a novice, that is, one newly converted, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation and the snare of the devil. 1 Timothy 3, 6. If you have gifts, Use them quietly and modestly, not ostentatiously. Do not be forward to tell your experience or give your opinion or to take rank above your seniors. Do not think that all zeal or wisdom is confined to you and a few about you. Do not condemn others because they don't go quite along with you in all things, nor speak of them as cold and dead and unspiritual. Do not think that no one cares for souls but yourselves, that no one can state the gospel or pray like you, or that God is not likely to bless anyone so much as you. Be lowly and show this, not by always speaking evil of yourselves to others, or by using the conceited phrase, in my humble opinion, as some do in order to show their humility, but by not speaking of yourselves at all. Keep self in the background, and don't say or do anything that looks like baiting your hook for a little praise. Some love to rule and manage, so did Diotrephes, 3 John 9. They are not happy unless they are at the head of everything, the originators of all plans, the presidents of societies, the speakers at meetings. Beware of this love of preeminence, as ruinous to your own soul and injurious to the church of God. If God puts work into your hands, do it, and do it faithfully, through good report or bad report. 
report, bear to be contradicted and spoken against. Do not fret when things go wrong with you or your schemes, nor get petted like a spoilt child when you don't get your own way, nor fling up everything in disgust when you happen to be thwarted. Do not take yourself forth Solomon, or suppose that wisdom will die with you, Job 12:2. If called to preside or manage, do it, and do it with energy and authority, as one who has a trust to fulfill. But mind not high things, Romans 12:16. Seek not great things for thyself, Jeremiah 45:5. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. Luke 22:26. All of you, be subject one to another. 1 Peter 5, 5. In honor, preferring one another. Romans 12, 10. Yet, be discriminating. Do not call error truth for the sake of charity. Do not phrase earnest men merely because they are earnest. To be earnest in truth is one thing. To be earnest in error is another. The first is blessed, not so much because of the earnestness, but because of the truth. The second is hateful to God and ought to be shunned by you. Remember how the Lord Jesus from heaven spoke concerning error, which thing I hate, Revelation 2, 6 through 15, 1 Timothy 6, 4 and 5. True spiritual discernment is much lost sight of as a real Christian grace, discernment between the evil and the good, the false and the true. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 1 John 4, 1 This discernment, which belongs to everyone who is taught of God, is the very opposite of that which is called in our day by the boastful name of liberality. Spiritual discernment and liberal thought have little in common with each other. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Romans 12:9. The liberality which puts bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Isaiah 5:20, is a very different thing from the charity which thinketh no evil. 1 Corinthians 13:5. Truth is a mighty thing in the eyes of God, whatever it may be in those of men. All error is, more or less, whether directly or indirectly, a misrepresentation of God's character and a subversion of His revelation. Revelation 22:18 and 19. 9. Watch against Satan. He is above all others your enemy. He, the old serpent, the dragon, the liar and murderer from the beginning. It is with him that you are to fight, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that is, earthly foes, men like ourselves, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6, 12. 
The world tries to bewitch and beguile us, but it is the God of this world, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, that so especially lays snares for us, making use of the world's beauty and pleasure and vanity for leading us captive at his will. Oh, how, as one has written, are thou entrenched, O Satan? How art thou entrenched in thy beautiful deceptions? Thou hast played thy part well in these last days. Thou art all but the Holy One, thou consummate deceiver. It is this that gives to the ballroom and the dance and the theater and the voluptuous music their special power to harm, for these are Satan's baits and nets by means of which he allures the unwary and leads back the believer to unbelieving ground, disarming our watchfulness, dazzling our vision, reviving our worldliness, and perhaps for a season lulling us wholly asleep. We know that through his successful wiles, perilous times are to come, when many, while lovers of self, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, are still to have the form of godliness. Second Timothy 3, 1-4. And we know that the last days are to be like the days of Noah and Lot, Luke 17:26 through 32, days of reveling and banqueting and luxury. Let us be wary, lest, standing as we do on the edge of these things, we be drawn away into the sins of an age, led captive by Satan at his will. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Fight the good fight of faith against him and his hosts. Watch unto prayer. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5, 8 In these last days, he will lay his snares more cunningly than ever to deceive, if it were possible, the very elect. He is coming down, having great wrath, because he knoweth he hath but a short time. Revelation 12, 12, 10. Beware of one-sided truth. There are few things more dangerous or more likely to lead into open error. Take care, for instance, of misunderstanding what the Scripture says about the old man and the new man, the flesh and the spirit, and so making void your own personal responsibility for all you say and do, and also setting aside the necessity for the blood of Christ as daily needed for our whole person and the power of the Spirit as needed constantly for our whole being as long as we live. Our Lord and His Apostles use many figures to show the greatness of the change produced by being begotten again. They speak of this change as being an actual indwelling of Christ Himself personally. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 Christ liveth in me. Galatians 2.20 That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Ephesians 3.17 But this living and indwelling of Christ does not make us the same as Christ or Christ the same as we. Nor does it make the blood and the spirit less 
necessary. It does not make Christ responsible for our sins, nor does it make us sinless. It does not lead us to say, you need not care what you do, for Christ dwells in you, and all you do is His doing. Again, on the other hand, Scripture speaks of our being in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 1 Corinthians 1.30 But our being in Christ does not mean that we, that is, our whole man, body, soul, and spirit, are actually put into Christ as water is put into a vessel. This would destroy the sense, and besides, it would either make us sin less, or it would make Christ the author of our sins, and the doer of all that we do. These figures do mean that there is such a wonderful nearness between Christ and us, such a living connection that we receive His power and fullness, but they do not mean that we and Christ are no longer two persons but one, no longer two bodies but one, no longer two souls but one. Again, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36:26. This does not mean that an actual stone, whether of granite or marble, is taken out of us, and an actual piece of flesh created in heaven is inserted instead, nor does it mean that the whole of our old nature is at once taken out of us, leaving no part behind, and that a complete new nature is substituted, so that there shall be absolutely nothing in us but what is perfect and divine. If this be the meaning of the figure, then every conversion must be the passing into instant perfection, no fragment of the old nature being left behind, and no feature of the new nature being left unperfected or undeveloped. Thus, there could be no conflict, no difficulty, no declension, no possibility of backsliding. The change thus figured to us is certainly a very great one, but it cannot mean the changing of one person into another, nor the transformation of a man into an angel. Again, our Lord says to Nicodemus, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3. Nicodemus took him literally and so destroyed the whole meaning of this divine symbol. Those in our day who maintain that actually and literally a new created thing is dropped into us at conversion, which they call the new man, are saying exactly what Nicodemus said. Can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? The new birth does not mean a new person. Christ did not mean that Nicodemus was no longer to be Nicodemus or that Peter was no longer to be Peter after conversion, but that such a spiritual work was to take place as to change their whole spiritual nature and character while leaving them still Nicodemus and Peter with all their original and proper personalities and humanities. 
Our Lord does not say, except a part of a man is born again, but except a man is born again. The change may not be perfect at first, but it affects the whole man so that he cannot say of himself, A part of me is born again, and a part of me is not born again, but I am born again. Connected with this, there are the statements regarding the new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, or there is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 It is not that a new creature has been put into a man, like new wine into old vessels, but the whole man is the new creature, and is regarded as such by God from the day of his being born again, that the transformation is perfect and complete from the outset, the figure does not imply that it will one day be all that is thus symbolized, it assures us beyond a doubt. So with regard to the flesh and the spirit, the old man and the new, The flesh is the man, call him Peter or Paul, with the remnants of his former self about him. The spirit is the same man. It may be Peter or Paul, with the new life unfolding itself within him. The figure names two men, the old and the new. But we are not like Nicodemus to take the words in a carnal or ultra-literal sense, for, after all, the man is but one all the while. For thus the apostle speaks, I am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. He does not say here, My old man is dead, but I myself am dead. Not my old man is crucified, but I myself am crucified. And this same person, I myself, who is dead and crucified, still liveth. He does not say, one section of me is dead, and another is living, but I myself am dead, and I myself am living. I, the same person, am both a dead and a living man. This is the real sense of the figure, this conflict, not between two persons, but between two parts or conditions. Of one person is that which the Apostle brings out in the seventh of the Romans. I was alive, I died, I am carnal, sold under sin. That which I do, I allow not. What I would, that do I not. What I hate, that do I. In me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. To will is present with me. How to perform I find not. The good that I would, I do not. The evil which I would not, that I do. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. When I would do good, evil is present with me. I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members. 
Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It is Paul himself, speaking for himself, speaking as one delighting in the law of God that utters these strange things, these seeming contradictions. It is not a perfect part of Paul fighting against an imperfect part of Paul, but it is Paul himself fighting against Paul himself. The one Paul, the one person, has two conflicting elements within him, each striving for the mastery. The inward man, says he, is renewed day by day. Second Corinthians 4.16 This process of daily renewal is that which goes on within him. The light and the darkness struggle together, but the light conquers and shines more and more unto the perfect day. Beware especially of this one-sightedness in everything connected with Christ himself. Faith connects us with the person of Christ in all its parts and aspects. It connects us with the whole work of Christ from the cradle to the throne, from Bethlehem to the heaven of heavens. It connects us with his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension and glory. Out of all these it draws life and strength, life in a crucified Christ, life in a risen Christ, life in a glorified Christ. This is the heritage of faith. Out of death, the death of that cross where he was crucified through weakness, come life and power to us. And down from the throne on which he now sits, the possessor and dispenser of that Spirit of promise, these same blessings come. In the cross is power. In the resurrection is power. In the throne of that glory there is power. It is as the glorified Christ, John 7:39, that he has received for us the Spirit with all his gifts. Psalm 68:18, Ephesians 4, 7 through 13. It is with the glorified Christ that we are linked by faith for blessing, for power, for life, for consolation, because I live, ye shall live also. 11. Do something for God. You were neither born nor reborn for yourselves alone. You may not be able to do much, but do something. Work while it is day. You may not be able to give much, but give something according to your ability, remembering that the Lord loveth a cheerful giver. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Whenever worldliness comes in in any shape, whether it be love of money or love of pleasure, you cease to be faithful to Christ and are trying to serve both God and mammon. Do something then for God while time lasts. It may not be long, for the day goeth away, and the shadows of evening are stretched out. Do something every day. Work, and throw your heart into the work. Work joyfully and with a right good will, as men who love both their work and their master. Be not weary in well-doing. Work, and work in faith. Work in love and patience and hope. Don't shrink from hard labor or disagreeable duties or a post trying to flesh 
and blood. Endure hardness as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. Second Timothy 2, 3. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Don't fold your hands or lay aside your staff or sheath your sword. Don't give way to slothfulness and flesh-pleasing, saying to yourselves, I can get to heaven without working. Your gifts may be small, your time not much, your opportunities few, but work and do it quietly, without bustle or self-importance, not as pleasing men, but God. Not seeking the honor that cometh from men, but that which cometh from God. The day of honor is coming, and the Master's well done will make up for all hardship and labor here. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory with all His holy angels, and when He shall sit upon the throne of His glory, it will be blessed to be set upon His right hand and acknowledged as those who have fed Him and clothed and visited Him in prison. And it would be a bitter thing indeed to be saved so as by fire, namely, barely saved and no more saved if such a thing can be thought of without doing anything for him that saved us, having given him no water when he was thirsty, no food when he was hungry, no clothes when he was naked, and went in prison, having never once come nigh him. 12. Live waiting for your Lord. He that loves Christ will long to see him and will not be content with the interviews which faith gives. The lover seeks the absent loved one, the wife, the husband, the child, the mother. So do you, your Lord. It is not enough that you can communicate with him daily by the epistles which faith brings and carries. You must see him face to face. Otherwise, there is a blank in your life, a void in your existence, a cloud over your love, and a faltering in your song. The saved one desires to meet his Savior and feels that his joy must be imperfect till then. It is the mark of a disciple that he waits for the Son of God from heaven. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 That he loves looks for, longs for the appearance of Christ. Let this mark be seen on you and be like the Corinthian saints of whom it was told by their apostle. Ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 13 13 The Lord our God I am the Lord your God was God's greeting of love to Israel. Leviticus 11.44 It is no less now his salutation of grace to everyone who has believed in the name of his Son Christ Jesus. God becomes our God the moment that we receive his testimony of his beloved Son. This new relationship between God and us, in virtue of which he calls us his and we call him ours, is the simple result of a believed gospel. 
If anyone reading these lines is led to ask, How may I become a son? We answer in the words of truth, He that believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Nothing less than believing can bring about this sonship, and nothing more is needed. The joy and the peace and the love and the warmth, these are the effects of faith, but they are not faith. They are the fruits of a conscious sonship, which has been formed by the belief of the divine testimony to Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of the lost. As many as received him, to them gave he the right of being sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. John 1, 12. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T six L three T five you may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.